Uh, we're super glad to have you here tonight. We're actually kicking off into part three uh, of a four-part series that we've called Comparison Trap. And if you're walking in for the first time tonight and you're like, Riley, I, I don't even know what a series is, uh, let me give you the rundown. Essentially, uh, over the last three weeks, we've taken one idea and merely unpacked it uh, over the last couple of Sundays. Uh, and in fact, on the first Sunday when we launched this series, uh, Josh Cookle actually got up, a very good, strapping young lad, uh, and actually introduced us to this idea that there is no win in comparisons. That there is no win in comparisons. That in everything we do, where we measure ourselves in our own life, where we rank ourselves, where we categorize ourselves to other people, we get caught in this trap. This trap of trying to feel better than okay. This trap of trying to feel better than just being better than somebody else. In fact, we want to be the best. But we all know where we don't want to be. We don't just want to be okay. And we don't not want to be okay. And this is something we face every morning when we walk out of our house. We walk out of our home, we get dressed, and we get ready to appear in front of an audience. And Josh launched himself with this idea that we all actually have this appetite for known. We all have something in common, and that is that we all want to be known for something by someone. In other words, when your name comes to mind, you have some adjectives, adjectives, sorry, some adjectives which are describing words, some adjectives in mind that you would like to project of yourself to the world, to those around you, to your school friends, to your workmates, to those out at uni, even to your family. We've been looking at this question of what do you want to be known for? And here's the thing, because can we really say that we don't want to be known for something by someone? If you had to turn to someone you know and tell the person next to you what you want to be known for, what, uh, what you are hiding from people in your own private world, what you are trying to prevent from leaking out into your own public world, could you really be honest? Could you really be honest with these lists? of describing words that you would like to describe you, these words that you would like to be known for? Could you be honest in why you shut down, while you step away from your social groups or your friends, while you withdraw from others, because it seems like what you want to be known for isn't actually being expressed to those around you? So here's this question. This question is of what area in your life do you most measure yourself to other people? Is it your academic results? Is it your musical ability, your gifts and talents in, in performing arts, in sport? Uh, is it your achievements? Is it your OP? Is it your success in being able or unable to drive a manual, your social media platform, your career, your degree, your job, your wealth, your financial income? Or does it even point back to your family? Do you compare your children to other people's children? And for me, this is, this is how I always assume how other people work uh, kind of compared to myself, that inside the normal mind actually lies a rational thinker. Uh, embrace yourself for this, because I indeed have a mind today. I have collected a brain. Uh, it's not a real brain. You're probably thinking right now, just obviously it's not a real brain. I wouldn't imagine if you had to go home tonight and then compensate the fact that I brought a real brain to church. Anyway, I don't know a lot about anatomy. Uh, in fact, all I know is that I have a brain uh, and I have a fake brain. So that's uh, all the experience I really have with brains. But inside the standard mind, inside the standard brain, I'd like to think that somewhere in there is a rational thinker. Uh, and the rational thinker's job is purely to respond to the trigger that's initiated when we actually measure ourselves, when we rank ourselves, when we categorize ourselves on this comparison ladder to other people. And the rational thinker's job is purely to produce rational, logical thoughts. 
For example, when a mate buys a new car, the rational thinker tells you that that's good for them. They've done well to save financially and they might be able to get places a little bit faster. When you see someone in a relationship and you are not, the rational thinker tells you that that is okay. You can spend your time investing in the people around you. You'll have a little bit more time. Uh, At the same time, when your friends are succeeding with their athletic ability, with their uh, musical talent or their academics, when you find out they already have a work placement, they already have a job lined up in the future, the rational thinker tells you that that's good for them. That's something to celebrate with a couple of bevies, whether alcoholic or milk-based. But the rational thinker tells you that that is something to celebrate in them. When your sibling is excelling in life, they're doing really well at school and they're doing really well outside of school. They're doing great in their marriage, they're doing great in their career. The rational thinker tells you that you should be proud of them, that they're doing a great job. At the same time, when your child isn't excelling in the way that you thought they would, Your child isn't excelling to the standard of other students in the class. The rational thinker tells you that that's okay, that everyone develops that at a different rate, that that's okay, that that is fine. You see, the rational thinker, uh, and so the rational thinker actually drives our thoughts and tells us that whenever we measure ourselves, whenever we weigh, rank, categorize ourselves to the person next to us, to the people over our shoulder, the rational thinker tells you that you don't need to feel any less than or any more than the person over your shoulder. You don't need to because you don't need to be known as that person because you're not them. You see, it's logical, it's rational, it's reasonable, and it makes sense. Now, you might be sitting there thinking, okay, Riley, I get it. Clearly, we don't all have a rational thinker in our head if we do compare ourselves so often. Uh, In fact, maybe some of you are a little bit like me and you're thinking, clearly the rational thinker in my head, if there ever was one, I've completely broken it, like I've completely stuffed the thing. Uh, And I've come to the conclusion that there is a great chance for some of us uh, that we actually have an irrational thinker in our heads. In fact, the irrational thinker, he's barely a thinker at all. I like to call mine rational Ian. And see, here's the thing. Here's the thing about a rational Ian. Let me tell you about Ian, because whenever I'm triggered... Whenever I rank and categorize myself to other people based on their success, their importance, their wealth, their talent, their skill, their reputation, their prestige, a rational Ian reacts. And he does so, so irrationally, so illogically with thoughts that don't even make sense. Let me unpack some of the irrationality of Ian in driving our thoughts. In times when your mates have a better follower to following Instagram ratio to you, irrational Ian tells you that people don't like you. When you have that pending dot, dot, dot on your phone after you send a message and you're waiting for the response, Irrational Ian tells you that you have done or said something wrong. You have offended something or somebody else. When you are questioning your own outfit, your own perception of yourself, your body image, physical appearance before you even leave the house, Irrational Ian tells you that you'll stand out in isolation from your friends, that you'll look different for all the wrong reasons. And when no one is talking to you at work, Irrational Ian tells you that you just don't fit in. When you think you're ready for change in your career, in your uni degree, in your job, Irrational Ian tells you that change will only lead to disappointment because you have fallen short of others' expectations once again. And you see, the irrational thinking is not a one-off. And we know that because we deal with it. We deal with it when we are at the age of 5 to 15, from 50 to 50 and, and beyond. 
Because even when I was in year five, when I was told by my primary school sweetheart that I looked like a dork because I tucked my rash shirt into my Speedos, a rational Ian told me, uh, 10-year-old me, that, that no girls will ever like me. Why? Because I am. I really am a dork. And then the thing is that I'm convinced Ian has a mate. Now, I like to call him emotional Ewan. And now, here's the thing about Ewan, because Ewan works hand-in-hand hand with his mate, Ian. However, whilst Ian responds to things through producing my thoughts, Ewan responds through processing my feelings and emotions. So you can imagine what Ewan told me to feel as a result of my terrible swimwear choice, which I can say is the most hyper-practical, rash shirts with speedos, most hyper-practical source against protecting yourself from UV rays. Like, however... I felt insecure. There was no way I'd ever be tucking my rash shirt into my speedos again, let alone ever wearing a rash shirt or speedos or even swim in grade five ever again. You see, when our thoughts and feelings are controlled by how we view and measure ourselves to others, we can find ourselves either thinking, I constantly need to be better than others, superior, which ultimately fuels us to actually drag others down so we can see ourselves climbing up that comparison ladder. And it evidently also shows just how insecure we feel within ourselves, within our own private world. Or on the opposite, our thoughts become so fixated on how we feel less than others, how we feel inferior, to which we feel that we can't actually live up to the expectations of others. We feel isolated from others, self-doubting and lonely, even when we're not necessarily alone. And with the thinking of irrational Ian and the emotions of emotional you and the mini-us that is steering the ship in our brain becomes so overwhelmed that our thoughts and our feelings of our private world leak out. We start acting in ways that we don't actually intend to. We withdraw from people. We snap at people. We front up and we put on this mask to actually cover up how we really feel and what we're really processing and thinking on the inside. And this is when we become envious of our friends' talents. We become envious of their abilities, jealous of their popularity, what they have and what we don't. And because we never admit that we didn't intend to be known for something, we get caught up in uh, admitting, not admitting to our own jealousy. We, we never move on from being frustrated with that other person, but at the same time, a little bit of us feels frustrated with ourselves. We withdraw from people and attempt to try and fix our own problems, and we become so fixated on this desire to be known by someone that we actually let go of the things that matter to us most. Some of those things become second priorities, our goals, our ambitions, but also our relationships, our friends, our family. And it becomes so easy to avoid trying to break this cycle when our thinkings and feelings actually start forming habits. So here's my app for you today. As we slowly try to land the plane on this series and as we're edging into part four next week, I'm really hoping I'm not the only one with an Ian or a Ewan in my head. Uh, Maybe you have an irrational Irma or or an emotional Edgar, I don't know. But by choosing to break this cycle when you are constantly trying to live up to these expectations you set for yourself, because that's what you believe other people, your teachers, your boss, your parents, your friends, even people who aren't your friends have said of you, you have an opportunity to actually step into who you intend to be. So to, to answer how we respond to this, how we respond to this appetite foreknown actually comes through the form of a letter. And it comes through the form of a letter of a guy that is actually pretty well-known. 
Uh, In fact, seeing that this letter is so ancient, the fact that we're reading it today tells me that the author is clearly known. This guy is called James. Now, James actually wrote this letter to a whole lot of early Jewish Christians who were being persecuted by Rome uh, in that point in history. But these uh, Christians, you see, they were also a little bit unsure as to what it actually meant to be a Christian. And because of that, they struggled to understand how they were to be known, how they were to think, how they were to feel, and how they were to act as followers of Jesus. And you see, James's insight is pretty valuable, considering he literally grew up alongside of this guy everyone created such a fuss about. In fact, James was Jesus's brother. And pause it there for a second. Could you imagine the sibling rivalry in being Jesus's brother? You're trying to compete with Jesus. Imagine the comparison that James experienced. Could you imagine every grade five swimming carnival where James is doing the 25-meter butterfly? He's doing his best at the worst stroke in the world. He edges in to tap on the wall. He looks over his right shoulder to see that Jesus has won by a landslide because the guy's walking on water. At the same time, could you imagine being in James's position when he's going to a party in his young adult years and the boys come up to James and said, hey, James, we're out of drinks again. Like last time Jesus was here, he kind of turned the water into wine. Like, James, you got, you got anything going for yourself there? Like, what can you do, James? And at the same time, I reckon the comparison game was probably so full on between James and Jesus at that time that, that Mary, James and Jesus' mum, would have picked up on it. I reckon there was a time when every now and then Mary decided to kind of throw James, uh, throw James a bone even over dinner at Grace at the table where they're praying over their meal and Mary's kind of just saying, Lord, we thank you for this meal and looks over to James and says, and in James's name, amen. <laughs> I reckon there was times that James kind of got a little bit of something out of it because could you imagine being brothers with Jesus? So we not only have something to learn in this letter that he writes to these early Christians, but something to learn in our context today in this comparison trap that we play within ourselves. His perspective is unique. He starts his letter almost like a TV ad. He writes addressing what it means to overcome comparison with wisdom. And this is how James kicks it off. He kicks it off with this. Do you want to be counted wise? Just like a TV ad commercial. Do you want to be counted wise? You've got to kick off. Who'd say no to wisdom in the first place? I mean, knowledge. Knowledge is good, but knowledge is also just facts. Knowledge kind of speaks for itself through facts and information, but wisdom, wisdom is the application of knowledge. Wisdom is the ability to judge, to discern which aspects of knowledge are true, right, and applicable to your life. You see, James doesn't say, do you want to be known for your wisdom, but do you want to be counted wise? And he goes on to build a reputation for wisdom. So you can measure known, but James says, do you want to build and develop a growing reputation for wisdom? If you do, here's what you do. Now, James's insight, remember, it's pretty unique. This is Jesus' brother. He's offering this simple step program that we see on the telly on sunrise in the morning. And he asks, do you want clarity in times when things seem messy, when you know your thoughts and feelings are distorted, when you're struggling to find any wisdom in the midst of anything because things seem so cloudy and you know you are lacking wisdom? Here's what you do. And James delivers a perfect three-part slogan commercial for Nike. He says, live well, live wisely, and live humbly. Live humbly. 
True wisdom is applied through the lens of humility. Wisdom doesn't show itself through actions, but in the humility of those actions. James is saying if you want to be wise, be humble. What does humility actually look like? How do I practice humility with wisdom? Does this just mean I post less selfies of myself on Instagram? Do I not discuss the high distinction marks that I'm getting in this unit in my semester? Do I not brag about my promotion at work? Do I not just tell other people how well my child is traveling in their sports at school and performing arts with their musical ability? Do I just act like I don't know how to respond to affirmation when people affirm me? Is showing humility slash being humble just following a a to-not-do list so we don't come across as arrogant or egotistical? Is that what humility kind of looks like? James flips it. James paints the picture for us. He clarifies it in such a way that it's almost confronting. He paints our wisdom and humility in this picture by telling us that mean-spirited ambition isn't wisdom. That boasting that you are wise is not wisdom. Twisting the truth to make yourself sound wise is not wisdom. James paints it clear. He says it is the furthest thing from wisdom. And he goes on, whenever you're trying to look better than others or get the better of others, things fall apart and everyone ends up at each other's throats. The acts that James was describing, they don't point to wisdom. He paints that picture clear. And we know this, but why? Because these acts point to someone who is selfish. And we know what selfish looks like. We know that when we are ambitious in dragging others down, when we are quick to talk the big game, when we lie to make ourselves feel better so other people think more of us, that we lack wisdom, that we lack humility, our emotions and thinking start misleading us. Yet, we do it. But how? We do it by by putting ourselves first, by trying to take control of things because we feel less than others, or so we can feel greater than others. We throw self-control out the window and turn to take full control over every aspect of our relationships to seem like we are in control of our own lives. And we start thinking about ourselves more. And as a result, our capacity to live well, to live wisely and live humbly is completely diminished. And we end up at each other's throats playing this comparison game that we get caught up in. And it's played at the cost of our careers. It's played at the cost of our study, at the cost of our work, at the cost of our finances, at the cost of our friends and at the cost of our family. And all of a sudden we are isolated from our relationships because of envy, because of judgment, because of bitterness and resent. And we find so much comfort in our separation, whether it's physical or mental, because it is easy. It satisfies us in the moment, but in the long term. In the long term, we find that we are constantly shortchanging ourselves. And whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, you can feel shortchanged by God. Now, James could have ended it all on that depressing note. Thankfully, he didn't add, uh, he didn't finish his his commercial TV-like ad in that way. And remember, his agenda was to actually help his audience, to actually help them build a reputation for wisdom. See, James shows us first what precipitates at the result of what happens when we apply wisdom with selfishness, the selfishness that ultimately leads us to the tension of comparison. 
And it does so because it becomes you-centered. It's looking to take you to the top of the ladder, only you and nobody else. And the comparison ladder is based on your thoughts. It's based on your feelings, your ideals, your social status, your financial wealth, your ability to be better than just okay, but to be the best. And this kind of wisdom seeks things that don't matter in the long term. That's what James has to say. He says, if you want to be counted as wise, this is what you need to know. James goes on. He says, real wisdom. Real wisdom. God's wisdom begins with the holy life. It's characterized by getting along with others. It is gentle and reasonable, overflowing with mercy and blessings, not hot one day and cold the next. It is not two-faced. That real wisdom seeks a constant peace instead of these disputes that continue to quarrel. Real wisdom is actually choosing a life characterized by getting along with others. You can develop a healthy, robust community that lives right with God and enjoys its results only if you do the hard work of getting along with one another, treating each other with dignity and treating each other with honour. See, James writes to confront the early Christians' assumptions and instead urges them to pursue active love through wisdom. Whilst comparisons place a wedge between us and others, true wisdom actually seeks to draw us into community with others. Humility recognizes that we have something to learn from others. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Thinking about yourself, trying to be the best, setting the standards of ourselves that are simply unrealistic is draining. Wanting to be better means we are constantly looking over our shoulders to see who may be better than us, to see who is better than okay. Trying to deal and manage in times when we tell ourselves we are not okay ultimately finds us in a place where we're relying upon ourselves primarily. And we get so sucked into it that it starts sucking the life out of us. And the important truth in James's letter is that you'll think of yourself less when you're thinking of others more. Rather than being led by your thoughts and your feelings that you know that you can't even trust at times yourself, you actually have an opportunity to create unhealthy habits in this situation. You have an opportunity to break the cycle, to break the trap, and find greater joy in thinking of yourself less and celebrating those around you. I really want to make it as easy as possible for you this week to actually put this into action because the odds are that the irrational thinker is telling you that, that this won't work. And you're feeling like this may very well be a stitch-up that kind of gets you going for a couple of days but falls off, uh, leaves you falling flat on your face shortly after. But this week, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, I just want to leave you with two application points, two things to step away from this Sunday so it can change you for Monday to help you break the trap and actually build a rep for wisdom. To do this, it actually comes through the form of our Four Monday. And we do Four Mondays here at Beyond because we believe there's no point coming to church on Sunday if it's not going to change you. It's not going to impact you for Monday. So here's what I'm, I'm pushing to you today to help you break the you-centered thoughts and feelings. And the good thing is, is that you don't even need to be a follower of Jesus to do this. And it's simple, simple, super simple. Finally got it. Super simple. This week, we're throwing in an extra. All it is is a fill in the blank. You would have seen it in primary school at this stage. To fill in the blank in this statement. I wish I had blank like blank. I wish I had something that somebody else had. 
All I want you to do this week is spend a little bit of your time just to write down the very thing that you're comparing yourself to in somebody else. I wish I had, like. Now, I'm not telling you that uh, you need to go up to that person and tell them what you wish you had in them. I'm not telling you to walk up to them and tell them, I wish I had your clear tan skin. I wish I had your financial income. I wish I had your boyfriend or your girlfriend. Don't do that. That's weird. And it's not going to end well. I'm not asking you to do that. All I'm asking is for you to identify it. Read it for yourself on the piece of paper, just how distorted the thinking is and how it actually makes you feel. And overcome it. And part of overcoming it, I want to chuck towards you another simple second step. And this step uh, comes to the form of you actually, actually celebrating others. And it's where the celebration stuff comes into play. Actually celebrating relationships to help you build a reputation for wisdom by living humility out, overcoming comparison by building others up. See, last week we actually explored how gratitude can actually help us break the comparison trap. That we've got all the reason in the world to be thankful. Because in fact there was a 1 in 400 trillion chance of us being born into the world that we are in today. And in light of that, in light of the biology of the world we live in today, that actually makes us a living miracle. That makes the person next to you a living miracle. And living miracles don't have time and energy to waste on feeling short changed. And recapping last week, we posted some of these bad boys up on our Instagram for people to screenshot and simply have on our phone. Some other people actually took it away to their journals and wrote this statement out and filled it in in their own time. But we looked at filling out this statement, Today I am thankful for... This week, I want to add a word on to this statement. Today, I am thankful for because. Take the thankful element and turn it into a person, a specific thing about a person's character. Name who you are thankful for and why. Jot it down. And then? Then I want you to, to do something that might sound real crazy. I want you to actually tell them. Send them a text just one person. Send them an email, take a sneaky Instagram photo, just affirm them. Send them a a pigeon, I don't know. Send them a letter, do something just to let them know how thankful you are for them and smother them in it. Smother them with thanks. Exercise that gratitude to your full capacity because there's a good chance that the same person you'll thank is the very person that you are comparing yourself to. If you have zero motivation to do this, I just want to pitch it to you. Think about the times when people have thanked you, when people have affirmed you, when people approach you in humility to let you know just how good you are, when people notice something that you did that you didn't even think others would see. Think about the times when people see something in you that you didn't notice in yourself until you were told. Because if you have felt that before, you know the truth that when you are celebrated, your thinking and your feelings, your behavior can be radically flipped simply by words of affirmation and words of truth. And the trick thing is, is that I'm asking you to go out and do this for someone else knowing that you might not actually be thanked back. But by being intentional and putting gratitude into some practical love and action, you have the potential to beat the comparison trap for yourself Beat it for other people. Because knowing that humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. It's showing love 
to others, the decisions you make every day from day one to seek out great relationships, awesome friends and loving mates. You have the opportunity to break the comparison trap by celebrating and seeking genuine relationships, by showing people their worth and their value to you. And I'll be honest, trusting yourself to know where to place your worth is challenging. Here's what I have learned. I've learned that there are times I neglect dealing with the void I place my worth in. If I'm going to be someone who's known for loving others, then I need to know to place my worth uh, not just in something, but in someone who loves me. Maybe for you that someone is your friend. Maybe it's multiple friends. Maybe for you that someone looks like someone in your family. For me, where, where I place my worth, where I place my value, mine's cemented in someone I know that grounds me in knowing that my worth is not found in my role at work. My study, my academic results, my sport, my worth is not found in how others see me, how I see myself. My worth and value is not found in something greater than that. And because of that, I don't need to be disappointed in myself. I don't need to have complete control over every aspect of the present, every aspect of the future. And I don't need to be fearful of not becoming known. See, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. And if you're a follower of Jesus, it's thinking about God more. The God who blessed you with the knownness you have, the gifts and talents, the personality you have, the friends that are around you, the family that supports you day in and day out. What would it look like to actually overcome the trap by placing your worth and value in someone who had way more control over everything in the first place? who sees you through a lens of infinitely greater worth and value than you ever could. If God is real, then you don't need to be a person who lives within the insecurities of their own private world, but instead actually live a life that was intended, one that is pretend. You can actually seek out the opportunity to be who you were made to be. I'd love to pray for you. Um, Then I'm going to pass over to Josh, and he's going to walk us through uh, the next step of tonight. God, I just thank you for people in this room. Lord, I just thank you that they are a living miracle, that their gifts, their talents, their abilities are all things that should be celebrated. And your presence is so strong tonight, God. We just love the, we love the tech gear here too. Our tech team do an amazing job. We just thank you in times when even things can be a little bit funny throughout our week. Uh, we can actually find the space to connect in with you. God, that we can find the time to actually celebrate the people around us, that we can exercise gratitude, that we can grow in our reputation for wisdom by actually taking a step in thanking those around us, affirming those that you've placed in our life. Lord, we pray that we can step into our week with courage and do this. We pray these things in your name. Amen.